Welcome everybody to Learn With Lowell. Today we are joined with Alyssa McCall. She's the Director of Conservation Outreach and Staff Scientist at Polar Bear International. Learning with Lowell. She's one of the first people, uh, for long-time listeners, you'll know this, to be on the show. Her and BJ talked about uh, polar bear popsicles, conservation, and life at Churchill, such as watching classic movies like John Carpenter's The Thing, which is a, a favorite of mine. Today she's here to talk about conservation, climate change, polar bear research, uh, impacts on policy, all the stuff that she's been getting up to for the last five years. Uh, welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. Yes. All right. So it has been a while since last we spoke, and we were just ca catching up. But one big thing I'm always curious about is what happened during COVID for people's professions. <laughs> were you able to still work? I mean, you are in the you're in the cold, so I guess it would probably be easy to social distance. Yeah, we it is in some ways for sure. You know, we did take a little bit of a break for field research, mm. and that was true across a lot of polar bear programs. So we do have a bit of a data gap in COVID. Part of the problem is for a lot of the data we need to collect the research we do you have to be in close quarters in a helicopter with a pilot um and it just you know wasn't safe and the international travel was tough so we did take a bit of a break we actually pivoted um and put a lot of focus on some of our educational programs for schools and kids that were now learning at home so trying to do more um online events for teachers and students and we really pushed hard on that for a little while there so we're back you know recovered it maybe took another year after covid to um, kind of get our feet under us and get things rolling again. But now we're kind of back full strength, rocking and rolling all across the Arctic. Yeah. The uh, the author of the Dresden Files, Jim Butcher, he said, if you want to understand mythology, that don't read like a textbook on it, go to like the kids section and grab whichever book is like on the different mythologies. Because if you can, if it's explained to kids, it's usually the truest form of stuff. So were you able to take that educational, like educating kids and then bring it back to make better messaging or, or be able to like take what you guys do every day in the field and translate it better to, for people? Oh, I love that question. I, I do feel like that is something I try to do often. So that's part of my job is, you know, I'm trained as a scientist, but I go out and I talk to people and I talk a lot to kids. And when we are, and when I'm training people to do public speaking or to talk about polar bears, you know, kind of the max level we ever want to aim at is about grade six. So imagine you're talking to maybe like a 10 year old, 11 year old. And if you can even get, yeah, younger than that, in some ways, that's a great point. You get really at the essence, the true points, the simple stuff, no jargon, um, and really like what's most important comes out. So I think that's a great way to put it. And we do try to do that as often as we can. Um, and it's always a great, a great check for me, you know, when I think I've done this great job, and I've explained things well, and then I get these questions that are, or, you know, simple questions, basic questions. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't explain that properly. So it's really good practice for me um, to be able to do that and talk to people. Like, not ever talk down to people, but, yeah, just boil the mm -hmm. concepts down so they just make sense. I think that's really important. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I think you'd have to work really hard to talk down to people. I think you talk very lovely yeah. <laughs> in terms of okay. at least with me or, you know, in some of the talks I've seen you do. The, there was a, and to just emphasize, like, I think some people just like it, uh, appreciate what you do, but they don't know, like, why that's such a, a big deal to talk at that level. Uh, there was a, a science communicator, and I don't know who it is off the top of my head, but uh, they just kept using the the term modalities in, a, in mm. a sense, like the different modalities. And I was like, why don't you just use chance or op options or, or uh, different ways of doing things? Like, like, cause I, I don't know how many people know modalities, but I just kept rolling my eyes. Like there's, this guy is not speaking to an audience. <laughs> like he's talking to like, to himself and like four other people with a graduate level degrees in terms of like reading comprehension. Um, if you can right, get it right. to a certain level, I think that is pretty cool. But the, for, for kids, what were some of the cool things that they were really interested to learn more about when it comes to your work 
or or your research? No, I love, yeah. It's one of my favorite things about kids is you get such a variety. The questions Mm. they come up with, I mean, they always stump me more than the adults can usually stump me, but we get a lot of questions. So like a classic, what would happen if a polar bear fought a brown bear, a brown bear or something (laughs) like that, you know, like who would win in a fight? Always hilarious and a really good opportunity to talk about adaptations and the different features these bears have and why uh we definitely just get questions about you know cubs they want to know about the babies and then a lot of questions about careers and how do you end up doing something like this you know what's the favorite part of your job as they're kind of imagining themselves what they're going to do as they go through school and beyond so those are some of my favorite types of questions all right two follow-up questions now i do want to know uh who would win in a fight polar bears versus brown bears i feel like that's a very joe rogan question but like is there one that is like clearly the winner generally so i'm going to generalize here so polar bears of course are bigger so we know that Mm -hmm. and their sharp their their claws are arguably a little sharper but brown bears generally especially grizzly bears so kind of the subspecies of grizzly bears in the arctic are a lot angrier broadly Mm. so grizzly bears in the north they don't have a ton of food um they're a little more aggressive they're kind of some of them are wired to be more aggressive and so something we've seen as an example is that when you get those whale carcasses up in the high arctic you can have you know like a dozen polar bears eating on the same whale carcass at any point in this conversation if you find value in it please subscribe it is hugely beneficial and it tells google and everyone out there that this is content worth watching thank you for everyone thus far who has commented like subscribed and told their friends well it's been seen where one grizzly bear comes in and all the polar bears scatter they don't want to deal with the grizzly bear so we think that the aggressiveness of the grizzly bear would kind of give them the edge over the polar bear in a fight um but i don't know if you know the bears have ever fought to the death if they have it hasn't really been recorded um but i would actually put money on a healthy grizzly bear besting a healthy polar mm. bear if it came down to it yeah yeah I, I think based on what you're saying i would agree with your the conclusions as well the attitude is everything i suppose and then yeah um, and grizzly bears actually have stronger jaws as well which i forgot mm. so polar bears because their diet is a lot squishier like seals they're mostly eating blubber and meat their jaws aren't quite as strong as the grizzly bear jaws, which are like chewing, you know, roots and veggies and fruits all the time. So that probably gives them an edge too. those brown bears. Mm-hmm. Is there, has there ever been a time where a kid asked you a question, which then would go on to impact research? Like you guys would see an opportunity there because yeah. of it? What a great point. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily at this time, but that's not to say it couldn't happen. Um, kids have definitely, you know, made us think in different ways. Um, we like to do kind of challenges sometimes, especially in kind of older classrooms about like, how would you help us solve this problem? Like, here's the problem in polar bear research. What do you think? And we love getting their ideas, um, from them. And they're so, cause they're just so creative. So I won't say it's directly impacted research yet, but it totally could. And that their creativity and ideas give us more motivation and energy to keep doing what we're doing too. So that's really helpful. I'm told the like there's like a the positive side is that they're very creative. The downside is you can't do magic tricks to kids. Apparently, like they will they will see through it because they don't they don't make assumptions like adults can. Like we basically we've trained our brains to pay attention to certain things. That's why like as we age, we don't really notice as much of our environment unless we really work at it. But like kids, everything's fresh and new, so they don't think to say like oh it's probably in the guy's thumb like whatever was hidden or whatever. An adult would think oh it's probably something over here. This elaborate you know complex thing when really it's just like right. the guy was hiding the thing in the in the in the thumb they usually are able to guess it really really uh quick 
Oh, that makes sense. They're so smart. Yeah. They'd be really good at probably yeah helping us collect data or something too. They'd notice all sorts of things and yeah, get to the truth of it quicker. Hmm. Yeah. The would you um I don't know how safe this would be, so probably not. But like, do you ever <laughs> bring kids out? So I grew up on a farm, and there were times where we brought kids on the farm, and be like, "Hey, here's a duck, here's a here's a chicken, etc." And they'd play with them and have a nice time. Um, sure, you can't play with the polar bears, but <laughs> is there are they able to? Do you guys ever do like in person, like come out and like see the facilities and see what that's like? Yeah. So for uh, the children that live in Churchill, Manitoba, that's where we kind of have some of our headquarters, and we have homes there, and we do events there. Uh, we try to help get students out on like a tundra buggy in the mm. fall when we can. Um, so they get to view the bears and our partner Frontiers North Adventures there kind of helps that happen when we can do it. And then in the summer, there's not as many polar bears around, but they are around. And we have done some summer camps, especially this last year and supported other summer camps so the kids can get out on the land, learn all sorts of skills. Some have nothing to do with polar bears, um, but get the kids on the land and then you know, be teaching them about bear awareness and bear safety through all of that. And then maybe they get to see a polar bear as well. So they don't come with us to do research specifically the hands-on stuff because it's just so dangerous. Um, but there's a yeah. lot of ways that kids can kind of get out there and more involved if they if they live nearby anyway. So yeah. Yeah. I know uh coexistence was one of those big topics you wanted to discuss. Mm -hmm. And recently I've been seeing what's happening in New Jersey, which apparently is like the largest population of black bears or something in the world. Oh, wow. Yeah. They have a lot. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. But anyways, like, so the bears are like in people's backyards and stuff a lot. And so how is coexisting, especially as climate change is happening, which I believe is driving them further south every year, which means they're going to bump into us. What is the, like, what do kids do if they bump into a polar bear? What do, I, I always just felt like if I bump into a polar bear, I'm probably going to get eaten. I don't know what else <laughs> I would do. Yeah, it might depend on the polar bear, how hungry it is. Mm -hmm. But I think you'd probably, probably be okay. Polar bears are, you know, we generally can scare them off it depends on okay. the situation though so yeah so what's happening is you know polar bears want to be out on the sea ice hunting seals that's where they make their living that's polar bears dream just living on sea ice but we know that in many parts of the arctic in the summer months there's less ice so the bears spend some time on land and that's normal in you know regular amounts some polar bears have always spent months on land in certain areas like churchill manitoba What's happening with climate change and global warming is that the sea ice isn't as round, isn't around as long as it used to be. So there's just less ice. It's not freezing as early. It's melting a little bit earlier. Uh, so bears are on land longer. And this is a trend that we expect will continue and the bears will spend longer and longer periods of time on land in the coming years and decades. So when you have a polar bear that wants to be out eating seals, but now it's hungry and it's stuck on land, you know, it's going to do things to fill its tummy. Um, Polar bears need to process fat to stay healthy. They do not process proteins and carbohydrates nearly as well as black and brown bears do. Um, they have a different digestive system, so they need fat. So it's not healthy for them, first of all, to go looking for other things, but they'll still do it because they're bears. And so when there's people that are living in the North, and there's more people than ever living in the North, you have these communities that have lived there for millennia or people that have moved around for millennia in the North. Uh, there's people moving up to work, more people moving up to recreate and camp. More people means more garbage and more opportunities to run into a polar bear. Uh, so we, yeah, we're trying to work on this idea of coexistence and help people protect themselves. And like, they're the number one priority, of course, let's protect people. And we'd also like to keep as many polar bears in the wild as we can while climate change continues to happen and we continue to work on that. 
Uh, we don't want polar bears being killed right away. If there's other options, sometimes that's the only option. But if we can help provide tools and training that will scare polar bear away and keep both species safe, then that's ideal. Depends on the situation. And we really want to just be mainly supporting communities, listening to their concerns and their needs, and then offering what they want. And that can look different across the North, across the Arctic. So uh, yeah, some examples, Churchill is a great example. It's the polar bear capital of the world. You know, we know there's going to be polar bears. It's a great training ground to try things. Something that's worked tremendously well in Churchill is garbage bins, bear proof garbage bins. Um, now when polar bears come into town, they're searching for food, they're hungry. First of all, they're not smelling food as well because the food's locked in a strong bin. And then when they go try to get the food, they're not getting rewarded because a garbage reward is so strong for a bear's brain, like, mm -hmm. you know, twigs on that. Um, but now there's not that reward. So the garbage bins are huge. Also providing different tools like flares can be really effective. Air horns can be really effective. Uh, cracker shells to scare bears away. And then training local uh, leaders who can help kind of help protect the community. Um, so those are some things we're doing. Yeah, and then just talking to people about being bear safe when you're out on the land. If you go out, go out in groups, bring bear spray, bring these other tools, um, let people know where you are. Don't go too far away from a vehicle or a home. Keep your eyes out all the time. Polar bears are, they don't mean to be, but they're very sneaky. It's just how they have to be on the sea ice. You know, they're very quiet and it seems like they move slow, but they all of a sudden can appear out of almost nowhere. So making sure people are aware that there could always be polar bears outside. And, you know, a lot of communities too, I should say, know polar bears very well. So like if you go up to Nunavut and some of these other Northern countries, some folks know polar bears, they know what to do, they've got this. But it's really a lot of these communities that are seeing more polar bears or never used to have polar bears historically. But now in places like Northern Ontario, all of a sudden there's polar bears on the land where there didn't used to be. And so the communities are like, what the heck? <laughs> like, how do we keep our kids safe? What do we do with this bear? We don't want to kill it right away necessarily, but how how can we handle it? We don't have the resources, so we're trying to be a bit proactive um, and have a suite of different types of tools for folks. And yeah, just keep everybody safe. Is it possible to like make a bunch of like uh, seal refuges along the coast, so then the polar bears will go there versus anywhere else? Because um, if it's to keep them away from human centers, then just have like a like a seal buffet. You know, it's fine. It's a good question. It's one. So there was a paper that came out. I want to say it was 2013. I might be a little bit wrong. Um, but it looked at a bunch of different options. So as mm -hmm. polar bears continue to spend more time on land and come into contact with communities, here's a ton of options we can look at. And though it's really not anywhere near the top of our list, on that list of possibilities is some sort of like feeding center, supplemental feeding, diversionary feeding, and so this would be the idea that you have a town, say like Churchill, right on the coast, and you have a really bad ice here and the ice is not freezing. The bears have been on land for months. They're so hungry. They're getting desperate. They're coming into town. Is it worth it to set up a station outside of town that has seal blubber or oil or whatever, some calories to get these bears out of town and heading toward that a little bit? Um, it's on the table. It's on the table. You know, if it's going to come down to human lives and and all that, it could be an option. What we're concerned about is that, of course, it's not a great long-term solution. This is not solving any problem. It's a Band-Aid option, um, but it could be that we do that at some point in the future if necessary. Our ideal would be that we you know, really tackle climate change and get our governments actually doing more to reduce the emissions trapped in our atmosphere and cool down some of these temperatures. That's the better option, and we need to be working on that no matter what, but in the shorter term, we might need to get creative with some solutions. 
yeah, to keep these bears in the wild and people safe. I was thinking more like the, I don't know, I don't remember the type of seals that uh, polar bears eat, but I'm picturing the seals that where they all they all get on the beach and there's like thousands of them and they all just kind of <laughs> sit there and make noise. And so I was just thinking like, oh, what if you just like planted stuff or whatever, made the conditions for the seals to think that they're that's a good spot to live, and then the polar bears would go there versus like feeding them like blubber. Um, you just create the conditions for the seals to be really happy in these areas outside of being hunted. Right. And then uh, the, I don't know if there's any like ecological benefits to seals, but I'm sure they are as well. Yeah, seals are pretty cool. You know, they're not nearly as smart as polar bears, but they're, you know, kind of smart. So I do think you could lure them to a place. Um, mm -hmm. But then if they start getting smoked, they probably won't stick around very long. Um, and I don't know about, I don't think it's super ethical <laughs> to drop a bunch of seals up there for the polar yeah. bears to eat. Um, yeah, that's funny, though, to imagine. There are definitely places where seals take refuge. Um, at parts of the year and i'm sure the polar bears like to do their best to hunt them it's also so this is part of it too this is maybe a good segue so polar bears really do need the sea ice to hunt seals and the way they use the sea ice is when the seals like resting and not paying attention they'll sneak up and pounce um, but a main way they use the sea ice is they wait they still hunt really patiently next to seal holes so when the seal comes up from the water to breathe air in the seal hole the polar bear pounces in and grabs it so it's like a sneak attack We've seen, and even last year we saw this, which is, it's actually super cool, kind of a bummer to watch, but really neat. Um, when a seal is, when there's no ice and a seal is just swimming in the water or chilling on land, um, a polar bear is really at a disadvantage to catch it. And if a seal can get mm. in that water, it can outswim a polar bear so fast. And if a seal sees a polar bear coming, it's like gone as quick as it can. Um, so last year there was obviously no ice in the fall, which was normal at that time of year. We're out there, we're watching a polar bear. And there was a seal in the ocean that was coming as close as it could to a sh the shore. And it was like taunting this polar bear. And this poor bear was on the shore, just like staring at it. And it did a rush and the seal swam away and the polar bear came back to shore. The seal came back and it was just like bobbing in the water. It knew the polar bear couldn't do anything. And the bear sat there and put its head on its paws and was just like wishing it could eat this seal and it was really interesting to watch and you really see how much the bears really need that ice to give them that edge over the seals it's kind of cool yeah that is interesting i would have thought that uh they had other type of physical advantages but yeah the, it sounds like they're just really smart in terms of their prey that was reading this yeah uh, i was reading this book uh oh, come here like hail mary it's called hail mary and in okay. the book the there's an alien intelligence that's met and the 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 protagonist is and the alien are like why is it that we're about the same level of intelligence even though like we're mm -hmm. two different species and they were saying that at a certain point uh like an intelligent like to be the dominant predator of a planet you just have to be like certain a certain level smarter than the thing that you're hunting and so that sure. that's usually it like there's like an apex for like things like in terms of like uh problem solving to eat certain things and so it was probably it was like the same for both uh both worlds and uh, apparently like great white sharks are that way as well like the things they eat like great white sharks are apparently not that smart but they're just they're smart enough to like hunt the things they need to hunt and so uh polar bears it seems like they're smart but not smart enough to beat global uh climate change in terms well, uh, yeah. yeah i mean i think they're i think they're crazy crazy smart i mm. think they just evolved um in a way that their body really is suited for life on the sea yeah. ice and so like they, they have come up with uh, different ways to hunt. So they occasionally can catch a seal on land. They will, you know, catch a caribou in some places. There's a couple spots we know of too, where they've learned to work together to hunt beluga whales in the summer. And it takes, you know, it's hard and they're not always successful, but they can hunt little whales. So their brains are, um, they're super intelligent, but their bodies, 
the thick fur, the thick body fat that like helps them overheat in the summer. Um, the sharp claws and the digestive system that are really suited for high fat foods instead of these like other food options. I think their body is betraying them more than their brains in a way. And they just, yeah, they're so specialized. They're so smart, but so specialized for the sea ice niche. Definitely. How, how are the populations trending then? Are they starting to go down then because they can't get everything they need? Yeah, you know, it, it is quite variable. So there's 19 different populations across the Arctic split kind of across Canada, Russia, Norway, Greenland, and Alaska in the United States. And we see a lot of variety. And that's because, you know, even though at the end of the day, all polar bears need sea ice, there's a lot of different geographical pressures. Uh, sea ice is changing and its patterns are different in different parts of the Arctic. There's different people pressure, there's different pollution, different parasite levels all over. So uh, we're seeing a mixed bag. Um, you know, in Alaska, the Beaufort Sea, that population has declined quite a bit in the last couple of decades. The Churchill population, the Western Hudson Bay bears, they've declined almost 50% since the 1980s. Um, Southern Hudson Bay next door in like off of Ontario, they it's declined and now it's stable. But then you have some other populations in the higher Arctic. Um, you know, a lot of populations are in Nunavut that are higher up there. They're still doing well, stable. Um, yeah, it really depends. We're missing a lot of data for a lot of populations. So we know over time, if climate change continues at its current rate, if we did nothing to slow anything down, we could lose, you know, most of the world's polar bears by the end of the century. Um, but that will happen very differently in different places. It, it won't be this linear downward trend. It'll be like, mm -hmm. oh, this population is having a real hard time, but this one's okay. It'll be very staggered. And so sometimes, uh, you know, it's hard for us to kind of have this narrative and make boil things down simply um, and still like, obviously we are going to stay factual about it. It's like polar bears need sea ice. They're, you know, they're in, they're facing tough times um, where these ones are doing okay, but it's these ones we're worried about, but these ones are also like, we like to call them the fat white hairy canaries in the coal mine. They're warning us that, you know, eventually all these other polar bears will have harder times as well. So um, it, yeah, it depends where we look, but as a whole, you know, polar bears need sea ice and we know sea ice isn't, you know, it doesn't do well when the temperatures rise, let's put it that way. <laughs> so, and sea ice too, it's, um, we like to talk about it, its importance, not only for polar bears, but for people as well, even, you know, you in Chicago or those folks in Texas, um, wherever you are, Arctic sea ice really has a net benefit for the planet. So it's it's so big and white, it reflects heat away, reflect, reflects sunlight away. It acts as Earth's air conditioner. We like to call it Earth's air conditioner. It helps cool the whole planet. So as we lose more of it, it's really going to impact climate systems all over the world. Um, so another good reason to keep it, not just for the bears, but for ourselves too. We can be selfish about sea ice. Mm -hmm. I think it also... Uh... It probably regulates the, I forget what they're called, like the little streams in the, mm, in the, the, in the oceans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where it's oh, like, the if yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. The currents, if the, if you change the currents, it would change the temperature of the world as well. So if you didn't have mm -hmm. like these giant cooling events totally. or as much, like it might shift them a lot, which might probably, it probably wouldn't be very good. I don't know. I don't think we have any models on that though. Cause we only have like the current model for how the streams work. Yeah. I'd have to look at that. I know there's some pretty cool climate scientists, sea ice people looking at some um, kind of neat models right now and different scenarios for stuff and have a lot of respect for what they do. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we should keep earth kind of balanced and in harmony. And yeah, we know if we really change, yeah, this kind of Arctic cold 
area of the world, we're all going to see a lot of changes wherever we live. Are there any uh, policies, technology, or um, I mean, any any hope that you see for people making a positive change against climate change in in your arenas? Yeah, you know what has been really good, even over the last ten years. Like when I kind of started, I guess I started studying Fulbright 13 years ago. And even at that time, it was a lot harder to talk to people about climate change. I was, you know, get a lot more pushback. Maybe that's because I was like so much younger too. Um, but more and more people get it. They're seeing it. They're on board. They want to make some change. They know that we need to be, you know, helping our planet. And so that alone, I think is a good change. I think the momentum is shifting and people are getting serious about that. So that's good. Um, in the polar bear world, there's been some really cool things happen in the last five years, even five, 10 years. So the genetic stuff is exploding, which is really neat to see. We're doing some very cool stuff with aging bears, figuring out pedigrees, bear movements through genetics. That's neat. Technology, of course, improves every year. And it's so crazy to see what we can do. Um, there is a recently kind of newish project we've kicked off in Svalbard, Norway, and we're using a type of, um, radar system that can see through snow and so the idea is that we can fly an aircraft plane helicopter drone over an area where we suspect there are polar bear dens and we can do it high enough so no dens are disturbed but we can mount this radar unit on that aircraft and fly it around and then look at are there dens can we see polar bears under the snow and we've got some great data that says we can and so the idea is to get this technology to the point where uh, we can take it to places like Alaska or other places where folks might be interested in oil drilling. And we can fly it over and say, hey, you can't go over here. There's a denning mother with cubs over here. You can't go over here. This is an important denning area and protect moms and cubs at this really, really vulnerable stage of their lives. And, you know, it's really it's moms and cubs that matter most for the polar bear world. When we talk about populations and declining populations, it's not about all these you know, adults that are just starving to death on the coast. That's really not the mechanism that we're going to lose all the polar bears by, by any stretch. It's more so we're seeing declining populations because it's getting so much harder for moms to give birth to cubs and get those cubs into adulthood. So it's harder to get pregnant, to have cubs, to nurse those cubs to a healthy weight, to get them to two and a half. And then it's harder for those when those cubs are weaned at about two and a half until they're five, they're called subadults. So they're kind of like the teenagers. And it's really hard because now you don't have mom helping you hunt. You're not fully grown yet. You're not your brain doesn't really know what's going on. And we're seeing those subadults have a lot of pressure on them. And so if we can give them at least a head start by protecting their den, keeping their mom undisturbed, then we're hoping that um, we can, you know, help pull their populations kind of from from the base sort of thing. So that's been really cool to see. Um, yeah. And then what else did you say? Something else that I forgot already, uh, but there are exciting things happening and I do have a lot of hope. Yeah. Oh, uh, policy. You mentioned policy. Yeah. Is that yes. okay? So, yeah. So that's been cool too. Um, so our, our chief scientist, uh, Steve Amstrup, he has done some just, I mean, world-class excellent work on polar bears uh, throughout the years. And finally, his recent, he had a recent paper that really linked, you know, polar bears uh, and their sea ice to climate emissions. It was a pretty big paper. And the work he's done has been able to directly influence policy in the United States. So because the United States has the Marine Mammal Protection Act and polar bears are listed as a threatened species on that, 
the United States is legally responsible to do something to protect those animals when there's evidence that shows that those animals need help. So now that we have excellent research and data that shows and directly links sea ice and climate change, it's forcing the United States to actually use this to influence their policy on climate change and reducing fossil fuel emissions. So it's really neat. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, we can feel people ask us, well, how many polar bears have you actually saved? And we can't answer that. And sometimes it does feel like we do a lot of talking and collecting data. And, you know, how is this actually helping? But this is such a great example of, okay, now we're taking this to the lawmakers and saying, you have to do something and they have to actually make changes. And so we're really excited to be stepping more and more into the policy sphere of the polar bear world. Mm -hmm. uh, have you, um, are, are polar bears affected by microplastics? I know we are as a species because mm -hmm. we eat a lot of stuff and they eat stuff in the water, you know, with the seals and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So are they affected? Mm -hmm. I think, I think someone said that we eat like a credit card's worth of microplastics or oh like God. that's as much as that's in our blood. It's really yeah. bad. But yeah, that's so bad. does that affect uh, polar bears? Yeah, we think so. So we still, you know, there needs to be a lot more research on this stuff, but some people are doing some really neat work on it. Um, our understanding is that some of the like microplastics and stuff that gets into the water, it can affect polar bears, uh, particularly like hormonally. So we think it has an effect on potentially weak wheat weakening the polar bear's baculum, which is the penis bone, um, and then other hormone issues that could lead to problems reproducing healthy cubs. Uh, we also know, I mean, macroplastics, there have been reports of, you know, bears that have consumed plastics, and it's caused them to starve to death or act aggressively um, in kind of desperation for food. So plastics, microplastics, garbage in the north, like the number one threat a sea ice loss due to climate change. But in the meantime, yeah, we absolutely have a problem with plastic in the Arctic. Uh, we also have a problem with parasites are increasing in polar bears. We're seeing more and more different mm -hmm. types of parasites that these bears are not used to carrying. Um, and then that also has an impact, you know, on the people that harvest polar bears. And that's an important consideration for them as well. You know, they rely on the food in the Arctic, the wildlife around them to sustain themselves and you know, it's getting harder in a lot of different ways for them as well. So it's got a lot of um, ramifications when we talk about pollution, plastic, parasites, warming, all these things. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure on the Arctic. Yeah. Well, there, it's also, also it's kind of like uh, a lot of things you're saying, I, I could see them applying to humans too. Like we're being affected totally. by microplastics. You mentioned yep. uh, moms and cubs and them being the focus. Like I think most uh, developing societies, like the strategies they use is basically like uplifting moms which then teach kids better. And then like it uplifts the whole society. Like as a guy, like kind of, you know, sucks that we, we, you know, I can't help out, but um, it seems like a lot of strategies, there's a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, affects animals, affects humans. And so there's like this, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people give this, I get this impression when I talk to people that they think like there's like humans and then there's like a big vacuum of space all around right. us. And it's like, no, we're, <laughs> there's like a lot of uh, parallels. I mean, like, I don't know how um, genetically similar we are to polar bears, but I imagine there's like a great uh, degree of crossover because we all come from like one branch or whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. I love I like to think that way too. Like, you know, polar bears having less access to habitable places to live, a lot of people already across the world are dealing with that due to climate change. Food not being as accessible, people are dealing with that. Increased like disease load, people are dealing with that. So we're polar bears. There's so many parallels and you're right. We're all we really are all connected. The Arctic is connected to every ecosystem. All these animals we're, I'm not experiencing things alone, you know, neither are they, there's so many connections. And so that's one of the things we like to talk about too, when we talk about 
how you can help polar bears, how people can get involved is that again, let's be a little selfish. It's a, you know, we want to protect polar bears, but at the end of the day, we're going to act for ourselves. And even if humans acted in only the best interests of ourselves and we got emissions under control and we switched to solar and wind energy and cleaner energies, and we made the world a better place for ourselves, that would help so many animals. Um, you know, it goes both ways. So you're right. We're so intertwined. And then are the diseases, are they coming from, I think I was reading that there are diseases that are in like the permafrost and as it melts, they're like coming out like parasites and stuff. Is that where they're coming from or, or do we not know? Well, that's a good question. I have to kind of dig deeper into my parasite papers I have. Um, a lot of it has to do with just the warmer temperatures, parasites mm -hmm. who never were able to survive in the Arctic and the cold in the past now can make a living up there. Um, bears maybe eating things they didn't used to and getting a parasite load that way sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd have to look at the specific vectors of it, but a lot of it has to do with warmer temperatures and eating weird things. Um, yeah, so probably we'll continue to see it happen. I will say it's not, parasites are not like killing a bunch of polar bears right now or anything. That's not where we're at. Um, but there just has been a noticeable uptick in the incidents that we're seeing. So we're keeping an eye on it. At the, I don't know if you watched the the TV show or played the game The Last of Us, but oh, I've uh, heard of it. I've been it's on my list to watch. <laughs> oh, it's quite good. It's uh, it has the guy who plays the Mandalorian, or oh, was that Pedro? one guy? Yes, Pedro Pascal. Basically, his job yeah. is to see kids around the world. But um, the in in that story, uh, they talk about how like the the climate. This is actually a real thing, but basically, uh, like fungus, you know, affected humans and then mm -hmm. did stuff. But that's actually something that's happening now. The because the temperature's rising, uh, the organisms are adapting to the temperature, which means they can more. Like the only thing that keeps fungus from like living in our brain and doing weird stuff is that uh, they're not used to the heat. Like we burn them off essentially. Like we're just we're too hot for what they're doing um, because we don't really have that many defenses for them. And so as right. the temperature increases, we're like the, a lot of scientists think that we're going to get messed up with a lot of funguses, uh, and they like to live in brains. Like there was a, a person who. Um, they thought they had like a tumor and they had like six months to live. Then they did a CT scan and it was just like a big like node of fungus right behind their eyes. What? And it was like pressing their brain and causing the symptoms. Yeah, so this temperature stuff, we're oh, going to have like whole new families of diseases coming after us. Yeah. It's terrible. I don't like you funguses. Should. I like to eat them, but I don't, I don't want them in my head <laughs> or, or right. anything like that. Some, some yeah. of them are tasty, but yeah, those are, yeah, fungus is a... Uh... Man, that stuff's been around for a long time. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> so yeah, we could do they're very it. smart. But we could, yeah. like, yeah, cool it down. Again, let's be selfish. Let's stop mm -hmm. brain fungus for ourselves. And that will probably also help polar bears in some way, too. Cool stuff down. Let's cool it down. Yeah. Yeah, one-two yeah. punch. The, and then uh, the policy that is affecting Alaska and the United States, what was, like, what's the result? Like, what are, they, what are the changes that we have to make to help out the polar bears? Um, I think that policy will lend itself to, um, I'm not sure if anything's come out of it exactly yet, but ultimately it's about burning fossil fuels and that we need to be, you know, reducing the amount of emissions that we're releasing into the atmosphere. We need to be switching to cleaner energy sources. We need to be taxing these corporations that are burning more fossil fuels than we ever will in our entire lifetime sort of thing. So um, it's really, that's the core of it is these energy systems. And it's, a, it's hard to link, you know, Sometimes it can feel like, what does that have to do with it? But burning these fossil fuels and coal, coal and oil and all these things, um, we're really we're releasing so many emissions into the atmosphere and they're just trapping heat. We know we've got way too much heat trapped, but if we can find ways to 
get those emissions out of the atmosphere and meanwhile be switching to wind and solar and, you know, nuclear energy, um, then we're going to clean up the atmosphere. We need to clean up the atmosphere quite a bit for, again, for ourselves and for polar bears. So at the end of the day, the U.S. needs better policies around that and they need to go after their corporations and we need to see some government leadership on that front and give people more access to cleaner energies as well. Like right now, so I want to look at, you know, getting solar on my house and it's like ridiculously expensive. And I'm someone who's highly motivated to get solar energy, but right now with inflation and everything, like goodness. So we need, you know, support in having access to cleaner solutions. Um, And the government needs to be the leaders there so we can be voting for people that actually care and that have this as a priority in their platform. Cleaner energies and accessibility. Yeah. Are you're just like a small tangent. Are you a hundred percent Canadian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The well, for that. people listening in, the they might not notice it because you don't have you know a Minnesotan Canadian accent. <laughs> but uh, a minute ago, you said you know, and I was like, oh, there's the Canadian coming oh. out. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, and I was like, I wrote it down. Like she sounds Canadian. Uh, emphasize this because like you know you sound very American. I mean, you are still American, like North American. You know, it's so funny. You know, it's so funny. Well, I will throw an A in here and there for Canadian. Um, but so. Many of my colleagues are American and I work Mm -hmm. from home, but I'm on Zoom and I'm on the phone like all day every day with my American colleagues. And after, I mean, I've been working for Polar Bears International for like almost 10 years now. Um, But maybe a year or two after I started working for them, my mom was like, you sound so American these days. (laughs) So I've actually heard that. I wonder if I'm influenced by my colleagues that I don't, I don't sound so. I will say Western Canadians, I think have less strong of an accent than Eastern Canadians. Um, but yeah, I think a, maybe a chameleon. Mm-hmm. That could be it. I think uh, it is adaptable of a thing. I, I don't totally. think of myself as having an accent, but people make fun of me for saying that. And apparently I do <laughs> have an accent. Uh, I guess no one can hear their own accent or whatever. I don't know the rules on this. Yeah. But uh, know, you guys were pretty close to being a part of the United States. There was a, there yeah. was a time where uh, was Polk time. was pretty close to going to war with Britain to get you guys, I, I think, if I remember right, British Columbia. Uh, to be part of the United States, which, you know, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't have liked that, I guess. But how is uh, can, <laughs> the, the segue is going to make make a point, which is how is Canada <laughs> dealing with, uh, you know, the, not just the polar bears, but like climate change, these types of things uh, yeah. compared to America or whatever? Oh, you know, that's a good question. Of course, Canada, you know, we have a much smaller population. Um, Canada, uh, I don't want to get too political here. So we have, um, you know, our leadership in Canada has a platform on climate change and it is, you know, a priority in their, what they say. Um, however, I would like to see more forward action on some of these energy systems. I feel like maybe there's a lot of talk and not as much action as we could have. I will say parts of Canada, so BC included, has a carbon tax and You know, nobody likes taxes, but the carbon tax is a very effective tax. And that is one of the number one ways that we've actually been able to show like people will reduce emissions. And by people, I mean corporations. Like the Mm -hmm. idea is that it's not supposed to punish the average consumer. We're supposed to get rebates back. Um, But, you know, these again, these big, massive companies that are just producing ridiculous amounts of carbon dioxide that they get really dinged for it. The carbon tax is quite effective. So that's a good thing. Um, The United States, you know, it's so much bigger. dealing with, you know, different problems in some ways. We each have our own kind of bare rocks here. Um, 
but I would also like to see more Bag of Rocks. I don't know. Like, oh, okay, okay, Rocks. okay. No, Sorry, I didn't know Bear Rocks yeah. was just, okay. Yeah, okay, Bag of Rocks. I, I understand. <laughs> we, all got our, we all have our own Bag of Rocks. We care. Um, so I let's That's just say idiom. I would like to see a lot more action on both sides. The United States, they are a world leader in a lot of things, and people are going to look to them. Um, so if the United States could step up, then I think more countries would follow. Um, but I think both, you know, I don't think either country gets really even much of a passing grade right now, if I'm going to be honest, on climate change solutions. So I think some groundwork is being laid. There's some good progress and there's some good momentum, but I personally think we need to go faster. Easy for me to say because I'm not in politics, but um, I would like to see more options and solutions yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're you're emphasizing something here that most people don't think about, which is like everyone wants to, they think climate change, and they think, okay, solar, et cetera, that they can put on their houses. Uh, but like in California, for instance, they were having a water drought. And so the average person mm-hmm. had like they shower like once every three days or something, something like ridiculous. But then mm-hmm. like Nestle was just pumping oh. water out to make water bottles. And, and they're like, they're not single, they're single use water bottles that'll last until the rap, you know, the end times. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it's like, Okay, like a bunch of people all all doing that or less than just tell them to stop that. Right. Go go where there's abundance of water. Go to the ocean and desalinate it and then, you know, make it yourself. Like, yeah. Uh, but to yes. like, it, like, stuff like that really does bother me because the mm-hmm. average person wants to do the right thing, but then mm-hmm. they, they think like, oh, I'm doing that, this or like the government's doing this. And then mm-hmm. they don't realize like there's like a factor up the hill that's like just billowing smog and like, t- like mm-hmm. uh, taking stuff out there. Nestle's one of my least favorite companies on the planet are you mm-hmm. are you familiar with what they did in africa like i, I yeah, don't know like, they're might... like they should it's like human rights violations they're ridiculous like, yeah with the milk seriously yep and the babies yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no okay i'm gonna say this just for people don't don't know it because it's my okay. favorite horrible story but uh the nestle went in and gave moms who needed to nurse their babies like powder milk right and then uh they gave them just enough for free so that the mom wouldn't be able to produce milk anymore and then they charged them so it, it created a famine mm-hmm. uh nestle i know someone who's making a who has a partnership with nestle and i want to get them on the show <laughs> basically like why are you doing this like they is their money worth uh the blood money but so I, yeah i agree with you and it's, it does sound like the the carbon tax stuff like that will create the right incentive uh for people to do the right thing and by people we, we do mean corporations uh who are like weird amalgam of people that i mean are incentivized to do the worst thing they are. And, you know, it was, you know, the whole concept of like the carbon footprint that came from oil companies. That was oil companies trying to tell the average consumer, like, you're the problem. You have to be careful of your own consumption. It was them telling us that. I'm like, yeah, we can all make choices in our life. We can all make different sets of choices depending on what we have. But they're telling us that we're the problem. We need to watch our carbon footprint. Yeah. Again, meanwhile, while they're billowing out who knows how many tons of carbon emissions and just, like totally passing the buck to the consumer where we are not being set up for success. Like you go to the grocery store, we are not set up for success in the choices we even have. Um, We're not set up for success with the energy choices we have, with the vehicle choices we have. To get a clean electric hybrid vehicle or something, it's prohibitively expensive for most people. And especially in these times of inflation and, you know, people are struggling anyway right now. It's tough times. Like we can't be asking folks to you know, shell that much more out of pocket or you like shame them or you better get an electric car. You know, it, we need to be given the opportunities to make better choices. And it has to come from the government. They have to be the ones putting some sort of onus on the corporations to actually make better choices. Um, 
for the consumers and not telling the consumers that we're at fault all the time. That's ridiculous. So we've really tried to move away from this idea of carbon footprint, tried to move towards just like building communities, community support and action and pushing leaders to do the right thing. Um, we, yeah, we can all make good choices day to day, but you know, at the end of the day, we're a drop in the corporation bucket of this world. So they need to be the leaders. Yeah. The, it's also, uh, when it comes to food, a lot of people think, okay, I'll mm -hmm. spend a little bit more money because there's like tiers of good food. Like I think it's, mm -hmm. like, I think it's Amazon's home, home goods or home food or whatever it's called where, but most places have this where it's like, they have like a labeling that says like these people uh, do this type of agriculture, which means very sustainable. These people do the most sustainable, everything right. Okay. I don't know, they kiss each animal and they let it roam or whatever, right? <laughs> those, yeah. they, those are actually not accurate. They, uh, a lot of people will get those labels, not because they meet the standards, but because they feel the need of them have like them having options on the shelf is more valuable mm -hmm. than people who can actually meet the need, like meet the standard. So, which, which is very yeah. disturbing because you go into the store and you think, I'm looking at stuff. Everything's accurate. Like it's labeled. It's right, actually you want to trust, right? Yeah. You should be able to trust, but they're just yeah. trying to make money. Yeah. Yeah. The the most like disturbing thing came from fiction, which is Mr. Robot, where there's I I don't know if you've ever seen the show, but there's an element of it where basically this woman, it's spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. But there's a woman who who's you know uh, had relatives that died from an oil, like a like a can't like a radiation spill or something. Like they had like a chemical okay. spill that they knew was happening like the company knew it was happening and they didn't do anything and so eventually she gets to the point where like she gets them to settle and as she, she thinks she won they say hey you know what we did with the money that we saved by dumping this chemical that's given all these people cancer we put it we invested it all and less than what you're what you're asking for is less than one percent of what we made investing in this and we don't care at all what we did and it's like sometimes i feel like it's that way like if the if the disincentives aren't significant enough and the incentives to do the right thing aren't significant enough uh like like uh, for instance uh like uh parking tickets that's really just mm -hmm. what it costs for a rich person to park there yep totally yeah. it's not it's in weird. line with income or anything yep yeah Absolutely. i feel like we're, we're down an, an alley here we're, <laughs> we went off away from polar bears a little bit but you know it's all yes. part of the same system yeah yeah it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, which i feel <laughs> is a disney song like i don't know uh no it's not that's prince of egypt a, a single thread in a tapestry whatever anyways okay. if you've ever seen that movie prince of egypt it's very good the uh, but so you guys are gathering research and you're getting data which is now influencing policy which is really fantastic um is i think that's really interesting a lot of times data just sits or research just yeah. sits or ip just sits and so that you guys are trying to do something with it uh is there anything that you're trying to push uh polar bears international with your work to do anything in particular like either like open sourcing data uh, share anything. Uh, what What's the future of Polar Bear Internationals in your eyes? Or uh, in general, if I give you like a blank check, what would you do? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a great point. Um, I think one really strong aspect of our organization is that we remain kind of nimble and flexible. So we mm -hmm. are able, we don't have a huge team, but we have a strong team and we're really able to flex with the needs of our partners, which include universities, communities, other nonprofits, um, corporate, you know, corporations, potentially, we, we can flex with the needs of what our partners need and what we're seeing happen in real time. Uh, we're able to fund really important research that wouldn't be able to get off the ground without our help. We're able to do our own research where we see um, a niche and a need for our abilities. And so I think if, yeah, if we look five years from now, we could be doing a whole different set of projects or whatnot. We're going to 
go with what needs to happen. And we're really, we've got a strong presence internationally in the polar bear world. Um, and we're really like a trusted source of information and funding and support for researchers all over. So it depends, but I will say in the, in the near term, in the next few years, we have started a policy division at Polar Bears International led by my wonderful colleague, Emily Ringer. Um, so we'll be pushing more, we'll be attending more kind of international events, um, policy, you know, being in the policy places basically that we need to be. Also in terms of research, uh, well, you know, the moms and cubs will always remain a priority. We're also, like we talked about earlier, really gonna be focusing on this coexistence piece, this people part of the polar bear equation. How can we be supporting folks? We're gonna be doing trainings, convening um, people, trainers, officers, community members all over the world um, to yeah, just help support people in a time of increased polar bears. And again, try to keep those polar bears in the wild and then we'll, we're just going to keep talking. And that's one of the biggest things we say now, you know, it used to be like, make sure to recycle and turn off your lights. And again, doing that like individual part. And now we really are just saying, let's talk about it. Let's get mad. Let's talk to each other. Let's talk to our politicians. Let's find out how we can support people in feeling empowered um, to help us make that push that the world needs to see again for us selfishly and for the bears. Um, so those are some of our main kind of, main focuses going into 2024 and potentially beyond. Um, but yeah, we're, we're juggling a lot of balls, but it's, uh, it's, we feel it's really important work. It keeps us motivated. Mm -hmm. No, it does sound uh, very important. And if, at, at the very least, you uh, got the data to force the US to be more yeah. conscious of things. You know, yeah. like, uh, so we're going to keep on that. Yeah, pushing yeah. that peanut for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big one. That's exciting that we might actually see some changes. And again, the United States is such a leader in so many ways even yeah i mean the world just pays attention to the us right so when they're doing good things then good things will follow which is great yes we are great the <laughs> every single one of us individually uh that's oh, like 70 percent of the audience everyone listening you guys are all great 70 percent. and then yeah. there's like uh like 20 percent from the uk which uh i've never had okay. a person on from the uk <laughs> who i don't make a revolutionary war joke i don't know what that is i think there's something wrong with me but like every time i find out someone's british i'm like i will slip it in we'll be talking like about polar bears i'm like you know uh, the revolutionary war had polar bears. you know i don't know find a way to get it in there um <laughs> uh, do you have a do you have like a uh you're like a fun fact that you like about polar bears so like what i'll like preface this. i'll give you like my favorite polar bear fact the okay. i think it's like in the year 800 or 1100 that a person caught a polar bear and would bring it to like the king of denmark and bring it mm -hmm. as a president and then the the polar bear would just like chill which i think is kind of cool yeah they're probably feeding it really well uh, <laughs> yeah that's so funny um yeah I don't know I always I think my favorite facts always kind of change I mean one kind of thing I think is cool it's not I don't know is it a fact but people like to talk about it is you know the roller bear polar bears can interbreed with grizzly bears but and this is a question we get asked is this like a new super species that will take over the world. No, it's a terrible bear. It's like a disaster bear, this roller bear, this hybrid. Bear? We've seen a few, yep, in the high Canadian Arctic. So what happened was there was one female polar bear and over her life, over several years, she mated with a couple different grizzly dads, had half and half hybrids. Those hybrids remated with grizzly dads. So there were some three quarter browns and quarter polar, some half and half disasters. So they, polar bears are so specialized to the ice, which we've talked about. Brown bears are very specialized to terrestrial living. If you have a bear in the middle of that, it's not good for either. And so we were seeing this bear that tended 
anecdotally was very aggressive, anecdotally from people lived in the north. Um, its feet were weird. Its fur was like this kind of dirty brown color with like brown circles around its eyes. Um, it was, yeah, let's just say hybrids will not take over the world. Um, it's really interesting. We'll probably see more pop up in the future as these species overlap a bit more. Um, but gorilla bears will not be the future. And I think it's just kind of a neat topic people like to it's the same as like who would win in a fight and like what would they do if they made it sort of thing so kind of is it uh is it that hybrids won't work or is it just this hybrid that won't work in the sense of like maybe there's a yeah, hybrid out there that could work. Can... Yeah. yeah oh yeah so if we want to just talk about hybrids generally totally that's a whole other you do a whole other podcast yeah there's a lot of successful hybrids and a lot of different i mean mules like classic hybrid you know horse and donkey very important species in a lot of well are they it's not really species but you see, now you're going to trip me up. They're hybrids. sterile, but too. this particular, they're so so. That's an interesting point. So a lot of hybrids are sterile, but these hybrids, roller bears, are fertile. So we did see roller bears that made it. So that's an interesting thing right there. That just shows you how close polar bears and grizzly bears are related mm -hmm. to each other. Um, but yeah, this particular hybrid. There may be other hybrid success, but this hybrid is not a success at this time. So I think that's interesting. Yet, uh, but, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but I just <laughs> I, I have like a. A nerdy factoid, and I want to ask you more about the grower yeah, bears. Yeah. The who, and this is like the technical term. I'm not swearing at you for the record. Okay. Who do you think is the father of the American ass? This is for donkeys. For anyone thinking I'm swearing it, yeah, uh, yeah, at yeah. you, I'm not. I, I couldn't even. Fa father's a hint. A hazard, a guess. No. Okay. George Washington. Really? Yeah. People gifted like really? I think uh like one of the king of France or something gave him two donkeys, and he's like the father of them now. Like in, in America. Okay. Yeah. That's a he did all the cool way. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, uh, a lot of stuff. Yes. Uh, how many, how many growers to get, you know, more on polar bears, but how many grower bears do exist? Is it like a, like a, like I imagine like 15, but I don't know. How many are there? Yeah. Less. Yeah. So at the time that these litters were in the high Arctic, there was only like a handful, like maybe four five, six or something like that, that we know of. And as far as we know right now, those are not, none of those are in the wild anymore and we don't know there's probably maybe one or two out there right now um there i heard an, another anecdote about maybe someone saw one in ontario right now but without genetic confirmation you can't see for sure so it will always at least in the near future be a very small number this isn't like oh there's thousands you know they're mating all over mm -hmm. it's like these kind of isolated incidents with a female polar bear who bumped into a brown bear at the right time had a small litter and then you know who goes from there so only a very small number if any at any given time but they probably always interbred at at some extent you know these bears of for hundreds of thousands of years have coexisted in some regions um but yeah it will never probably be a big thing that we see just an interesting fluke of nature yeah well there is a i think the american coyote and the wolf is making a mm. subspecies which a apparently is doing wolf? really well Oh, you know this? Yeah, I've heard of those. I've heard of those. Yeah, I'd have to brush up on that, but I have heard of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear they're they're doing well. That's all I know. I just okay. know like generally that like that's a hybrid species that apparently is yep. doing well. Um, yeah, hybrids there... are a neat study of topic topic of study. God, I can't talk today. <laughs> yeah, no, you're doing great. The uh, George, I had George Church on. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's bringing back like one of his projects, other than the Human Genome Project and uh, CRISPR, is he's working mm -hmm. on bringing back woolly mammoths. Uh, with a oh that guy i've heard of that guy yes oh yeah yes he's really nice but uh the he it was also his second time on the show but uh which has me leading to this idea like not de-extinction but maybe i don't know if there's a species you bring back that is extinct but 
Is there a species of polar bear or in general that you wish you could have seen in the wild, like the woolly mammoth? It could be anything. Um, probably like the cave bear. Um, uh, yeah, some of these or the short faced bear, like some of these old bear species that were just like even bigger, maybe than polar bears, or just like to kind of watch them in the wild, or maybe the saber toothed tiger. Maybe that. I've been watching Power Rangers lately with my kids, so they have like the saber toothed tiger. That would be cool. Um, um, yeah, but probably I would maybe have to say like maybe a cave bear. I'd be curious to see. Yeah, um, is there a new generation of uh, Power Rangers? Or is it an old Power Rangers? Uh, we're watching the old one, but they did like a one-off special. Um, on Netflix. The OG on Netflix. So she, that's her favorite one. She won't watch the. She just wants to watch that again and again. I'm like, okay, that's fine. It was great. It was like <laughs> it was like fun. watching professional wrestling. It's like this is <laughs> this is wild. I don't know. It's, there's like a kaiju. It's fantastic. I had a person on here who was yeah. a wrestling expert, and there's like kaiju oh. wrestling. Yeah, there's like uh, or and a bunch of other stuff. So it was, it felt like that, where it's just like so absurd, the storyline, yes. everything about it. Love I, was, it I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, just yeah. eat popcorn and enjoy that. All right, so yeah. uh, cave bear, which I don't know anything about. How big were they compared to polar bears? I, I know what a polar bear is, like in terms of size. So I can kind of like I mean, rough from there. I don't know. Pretty big. Like you're making. I shouldn't say things without like knowing facts in my head. But my understanding was, is that the one? It was either the cave bear or the short faced bear? But that was like the biggest bear ever in existence. Um. It was like the size Ever, of a house. Yeah. I know we had turtles that were size of like God. cars. Jesus, that's a how much would that turtle be eating every day? I don't know, pretty be tasty. Native Americans used to capture turtles yeah. and uh keep them on their backs and they'd like travel around. And when they were thirsty, they would crack open the turtle and eat it. Because they would li- they could oh. live for like nine months without water or whatever. Oh goodness. Yeah, that's a long time. Um Okay, so it looks like Sam Googling it really quick. So cave bears might have been bigger than polar bears, but really big. They kind of probably just look like brown bears, really. But mm. I just think it'd be interesting okay. because you hear about them. Like, it's neat to, I don't know, think about the ancestors of, like, what you study. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, okay. The short-faced bear was one and a half times the size of a Kodiak grizzly bear. So that'd be pretty big. Maybe short-faced Yeah. Bear. Yeah. Yeah. That's it'd, be, it'd, it'd be many, many... I think like the black bear in Wisconsin is like about the same size as a human. It's like 200 pounds. Where, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So they're like many mm-hmm. times bigger than humans. Then. Um, yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I like those little charts that show like a human next to like a T-Rex and stuff. Because it's, it's interesting to know yeah. scale. Um, it like gives you like your place in the world. But uh, is there, do we know why the cave bear went extinct? Um, or is it like one of those like megafauna things where like for a period of time, like a bunch of them died? Oh my goodness. I don't know. See, I don't even know why I brought it up. I don't know enough about <laughs> no, it. No, it's my man. You don't. You don't have to know. You don't have to know. It's fine. Now I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna do a deep dive after this. Like I gotta learn about these extinct bears. Like what's that about? Um, no, it's all oh, good. Okay, well, it, says it likely went extinct due to ecological collapse, disrupting the vegetation and prey it relied on. So loss of food. There you go. That's yeah, was, a surface. I, I was reading this report that uh, when a guy and a, a guy and a girl are looking at a, a job posting, if a if the if the woman has seventy percent of the qualifications, then she'll apply, like at least seventy percent. If a man has fifty percent mm-hmm. of qualifications, then he'll apply. And I feel like yeah. the way you answered that question it was like the seventy percent <laughs> right before you responded <laughs> to me, versus just being like, yeah, I don't know, maybe I don't know. They're like three times the size of it. Like you didn't like uh, it kind of remind me of that uh that that study apparently. Apparently, like women need to not not you women, but like the the study is basically yeah, saying yeah. like, hey, you know, you guys are qual- just as qualified, just like maybe like lower the standard a little bit or something. I don't know if that's yeah. perfectionism. Yeah, I don't. I, just, I definitely just don't want to say anything like, 
yeah. wrong or like make stuff up, you know, yes. but now, but I'm genuinely curious. Now you're asking me this. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I do want to know that actually. So anyway, <laughs> I'm going to brush yes. up on my other bears. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then, uh, I'm always looking for books. I'd like the first time you're on the show, we had like a back and forth in emails about books. Do you have any new book recommendations? I recommend this book to you. Uh, it'd be fun. It's the guy who made Martian. Uh, I actually was reading it the other day. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. You will you will fall in love with a rock, and you will cry. Rock, really? Is it, so is that the guy that did you say that's the guy that wrote the Martian? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. It's Project Hail Mary. Um, Project Hail Mary. Okay, I'm gonna remember that. Um, I will say the last one of the recent books I read that I really like. It's a fiction book. Um, it's Anne Patchett is the author, and it's called State of Wonder. And it's about um, this woman who kind of travels down to the Amazon to, uh, let's say, collect data on some plants. And then she gets kind of wrapped up in some like personal stuff. And it's just a really well done story. And Anne Patchett's such a great author. So I really liked, um, I really liked that one. I read it really quickly. It, it was so good, it an, so. Is it an adventure story or is it like one of those like enemies to lovers type romance thing? Because I don't know basically. Uh, it could be either or in how you said it. It could be. There's there's some like, you know, personal relationships in there for mm-hmm. sure. But it's it's a bit of an adventure. And like she's kind of finding okay. more about herself. And just it's got some really interesting like um, plant biology stuff in there, sort of. Uh, so it's like a little scientific, but mostly adventure, a little bit of romance, maybe a tiny bit. Um, it's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Is there a so the title of the show is Learning with Lowell. Is there anything you're personally other than cave bears? Is there anything that you're currently uh, like a skill you're trying to develop or anything like that uh, that you're working on right now? Oh, Maybe gosh, someone listening well, will give you some suggestions. Yeah. Oh, I would love. Yeah. So this is much less intellectual than this. But so uh, we're moving houses pretty soon mm-hmm. and our new house is a fixer upper. And I'm really committed to getting more handy and um, like being able to be more. Yeah. Just have a handy person fix stuff around the house. Like I feel Sometimes I'm not that good at practical stuff. Um, I'm just like in my head all the time. So I want to help, you know, build and paint and do, I've been trying to get better at car maintenance, all these little things. I'm like, I need more practical skills. Can't just talk about bears all day. That only gets yeah. me so far. So that's kind of not super exciting, but stuff I need to that's exciting. Self-development, uh, get better at. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think uh, I would look up the concept Kaizen, I think maybe okay. is it Kaizen. Uh, so, yeah. I was once in the like 105 degree heat and I was changing a tire and oh. everything was like rusted together. And so I, I only had like a screwdriver and a hammer to do it. And oh, uh, no, it was changing the brakes because the brakes popped off or something. And so uh, it like everything's rusted up and I just kept hammering away on it. And there's a, a tendency when people are doing handy stuff when they're not, they're used to just living in their head um, mm-hmm. that they, they reach a point where it's really frustrating and you just kind of have to like push through it. That's like my best okay. suggestion and, and piece of feedback is when you're doing handy stuff and it's not working out, just keep hitting, just keep hitting it. Keep like, hitting give it like, it. give it like five seconds. Like I was hitting the, the hammer into it and I was like, this isn't moving at all. Like the metal is not moving. Yeah. I was like, oh, just give it like 10, 10, 10, 10 just give it 10 more seconds. I just kept doing that. And eventually I popped everything off. And, uh, like, uh, apparent, like someone was watching me and came over and was like, I, we were like making bets for that. You would be able to get the thing <laughs> off. <laughs> it was so rested. I was like, well, you know, you can over, you can come and help. You didn't need to just watch. But I think that's like one of the be- uh, biggest things. Like, uh, when it's a new thing, um, like just be really comfortable breaking stuff People a lot. Yeah. I like Maybe that. like, I like that concept. Yeah. 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 Was well, it's a very like anti Western thing? Because I've been reading a lot about Kasugi, which is like when you break pottery or whatever 
you fix right. it, but you but you add gold into it to emphasize the fact that it was broken. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that those are two things, and then uh, YouTube is great. I appreciate that. Anything you yeah. want to do? So thank. That's exactly what I've been. I yeah, like for car stuff, I'm like YouTubing it. Gonna get gonna learn yeah. this. Yeah, YouTube's amazing. Thanks, and those people that which is many people who put things like that instructional videos on YouTube, like heroes, like actually so impressive that people think to do that. Um, if I had skills like that, maybe I should put some on YouTube, but I really appreciate anyone that shares their skills with the world on YouTube. It's supremely helpful. Good. Example no, I mean, you have tons of skills building. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've got, I've got some skills that are maybe not, um, you know, day-to-day -day practical, you know, if you need to whip out some polar bear knowledge on the side of the road one day, I got your back, but I, you know, you, you've tagged polar bear. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can. I, you okay. Know, yeah, it's not like you said. It's not like you send an ivory cool tower. Yeah, you, you do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. I don't know, niche is like uh if we need to do paintballing, uh if we need to like track people, you know, like there's like a lot of like transferable skills here. You know, I appreciate you can that. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I want to go down on I feel like you have a lot of uh skills here. Uh all right, and then uh, uh I was recently reading uh that apparently everybody has a go-to emoji. And so I I like this is a oh new question goodness. I'm asking everybody. What is your go-to emoji and why? And I can explain why mine is a custom emoji that I made, if you want. Oh, yeah. I want to hear how you even make a custom emoji. I just draw it, and then you upload it as, like, an SVG or whatever, and then it's, it's yours. But, oh, uh, so, like, well, so, like, the, the face, I, I like, you're about my age, I think. So, the there's a time where you just, like, typed out. Like, you didn't have, like, these cool-looking emojis. Right. So, I would go, like, the dots, and then I would do, like, an F, because I wanted to make a face, like, Mater from cars <laughs> like i'm being like a doofus and so that's fine it's basically like a doofus uh, looking uh emoji face that's my go-to that so that's funny i think the one i use the most based on what my phone is telling me right now is like the laughing happy face so like the kind of laughing mm. face um however i will say and i'm not proud of this but i definitely use a lot of the eye rolling and face palm emojis for certain things because i think they're really funny sometimes um but I also read somewhere, I think maybe it was a Gen Z or something was saying how much like the millennials misuse emojis and way over the top. And I was like, yeah, I probably do that too much. Only with friends though. Um, mm -hmm. But that's pretty funny. I kind of think of the personal one, but I, I laugh, smile a lot, I think in my emojis. So now I'm going to be thinking about that more too. Too funny. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. A Gen Zer was telling me that they're tired of millennials taking over platforms like Twitter, Snapchat, et cetera. It's like, we made those platforms. Yeah. <laughs> You're taking over our platforms. <laughs> what are you talking about? These are our, this is our space. You know, this is our this is our land. Uh, but oh uh, you're welcome to it anyway. I don't know. I don't think they totally. knew. I don't think they knew that. Like yeah. it was invented. They, they probably do it better. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're wired into it. And then um, you guys have this episode should be coming up at the same time, November first. Something's happening. Yeah. So the, yeah. So kind of like around Halloween and the first week of November there. So we call that polar bear week. Um, so I'm heading to Churchill next week. I'll be up with the polar bears. It's a big time of year where polar bears gather on the shores of Hudson Bay. So we'll be there. We live stream them. Uh, so check out explore.org if you want to watch live polar bears, or you can come to the polar bears international.org website and see what they're up to every day. We do a lot of events, talking about them, answering people's questions. And then for Polar Bear Week specifically, so this the live streaming goes on for several weeks, if over a month. Um, but Polar Bear Week specifically, we do a big push about 
this year it'll be more about coexistence, uh, more information about people living with polar bears and how you can get involved in different ways. You know, there's ways to donate, there's ways to just learn more, ways to find out more about what we're doing. Um, so definitely check it out if anyone's interested. It's always a fun time of the year and hopefully see a lot of polar bears too. Yes. Uh, is there, uh, for people who, I don't know, like like a 100,000 people gave 20 bucks, that'd be a lot of money, but is there like an amount you guys are looking for to raise? Uh, no, not, um, we might have a goal, you know, I'll have to check on that goal. Like, obviously, the this is expensive work, the polar bear work in the north and then supporting northern communities is very expensive. So, you know, I think we'll probably, yeah, set a goal of like 100,000 or something like that. And, you know, yeah, if people even gave $5 and passed that around to their friends or something, that would be pretty huge. But uh, whatever people can do is super, super appreciated. And um, even sharing it on social goes a long, long way. And talking about polar bears and climate change and everything. Um, I mean, that's one of the biggest wins for us as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, yeah I, whatever people are interested in, really appreciate it. I think the, and just for anyone listening, thinking like, what's my five bucks going to do? The the Statue of Liberty was built off of like literally kids' pocket change. They they set up oh, a collection. It up so and quick. Kids, oh. Yeah. They sent in like quarters and stuff like, hey, I know this is only my yeah. lunch money, but hopefully and they were able to build it. Like they sent it to us, France. Thank you, France. Uh, they sent yeah. us this <laughs> statue. But they sent it in parts. But we had to build it. Right. And so like literally people just ma mailed in quarters and uh, they were able wow. to fund enough money to build it. And so like the you guys are basically doing the Statue of Liberty equivalent over with polar bears and conservation. Oh, and communication. So, yeah, it so really does like, add up a corner or whatever. Yeah, it adds up. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it really does. We have such a great network of folks and little bits add up and we can do a lot. Like I said, because we have such great partnerships and mm -hmm. we're flexible and nimble, we can do a lot with the money we get. So yeah, we're excited to keep moving forward on that project. Yes. And as Ben Franklin said, as I'm, I'm, re I'm uh, reading a new <laughs> book, because Walter Isaacson has disappointed me with his uh, book on Elon Musk. So I'm now seeing it. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. But uh, the uh a penny a penny uh saved is a penny earned ben, there you go ben franklin quote there for you the go. Day. But, uh Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on today sharing your emojis polar bear knowledge research and the fact that like policy is actually coming like the world is like changing mm -hmm. people are really excited for these things but i appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me uh with such a great background as well uh today <laughs> likewise thanks for having me today it was great to chat with you but also to different things uh Rhea. yeah appreciate your time it's fun <laughs>